Welcome to the Fueling the Future podcast, the video version, where we get to the bottom of issues, trends, and developments in future fuels and transport energy issues. I'm your host, Tammy Klein, founder and CEO of Transport Energy Strategies. And with me today, um, as part of my ongoing series on sustainable aviation fuel, are Neville Hargreaves, and Drew Miller of Velocis. So I've got double the SAF uh, fun uh, today on the video podcast. So let me tell you a little bit about Neville and about Drew. So Neville is uh, Vice President Waste to Fuels uh, for Velocis. He has over 30 years of experience in the fuels, energy, and consulting industries. He joined Velocis in 2011 as Business Development Director for Europe, which is how I first got to know him. He is now responsible for the commercial, financial, and corporate development of the Alt-Alto Waste-to-Jet Fuel Project in the UK, which we're going to talk a little bit about, and UK Government Relations and Communications. And Drew is the Project Finance Director for Velocis. And I've been uh, working with Drew over the past uh, few years or so. He has 20 years of experience as an investment banker, investor, and project developer focused on energy markets, and he leads the company's project finance function, serving as the primary capital markets liaison with banks and financial investors and responsible for risk management and insurance. Drew Neville, welcome to the program. Glad to be here. Thanks, Tammy. Great to be here. Glad to have you. So, um, This is the first time I think I've ever had on the podcast two folks uh, at the same time. So this is going to be a really, really fun uh, discussion. So there is so much happening in the SAF space. So thanks for being on the program to talk to us a little bit about um, the space from Velocis perspective. So let's get right into it, especially for viewers and listeners who may not know. Can you give us an overview of Velocis and the Velocis process? And I'll direct that question to Neville. Thanks, Tammy. Uh, So Velocis is a sustainable fuels technology company. Um, We grew out of two original uh, technology breakthroughs, one in catalysis uh, here in the UK and one in reactor design, uh, actually originally to do with making chemicals in space, uh, in in the US, uh, and those two companies came together in 2008 to form a, uh, the integrated company that we are today. Uh, and we've developed that technology uh, mainly for the synthesis of hydrocarbons, for what's called the Fischer-Tropsch process, making that process adaptable for uh, relatively small scale uh, compared with uh, world scale gas to liquids projects, and that makes it in turn suitable for the conversion of uh, energy-containing materials such as uh, municipal solid waste and woody biomass into sustainable fuels. And that's uh, highly relevant to the discussion we're going to have today on sustainable aviation fuel. So it enables us to decarbonize sectors that are otherwise hard to get at and to do it kind of here and now. Um, The the technology has been developed over 20 years or so. Uh, We've gone through many stages of development and demonstrations, and we're now at a point where we can deploy that technology. We're licensing it to third parties. Um, Many of your uh, listeners may know about the Red Rock Biofuels uh, Lakeview project in Oregon, uh, and that that, that contains uh, our reactors and catalysts. But we're also developing a couple of projects of our own. 
and we'll talk a bit more about those in a minute. So, yeah, so let's get into the projects here. So, um, and also the company's uh, scale-up plan. So talk to us, um, Drew, about the projects that Velasquez has underway and where is the company headed uh, in the next uh, five or 10 years, would you say? So I'll let uh, uh, Neville speak to the Alto project, but but let me start with the, the biofuels project in Mississippi. Um, that's a waste woody biomass project uh, to, to sustainable aviation fuel. We utilize the, the first thinnings uh, from plantation forests. So this is a, a waste stream that's not currently being utilized uh, and biofuels is, is pre-certified by the Roundtable of Sustainable Biomaterials uh, um, for that feedstock. Um, interestingly, in uh, Mississippi, we also combine our, uh, our, our integrated uh, set of technologies with carbon capture and sequestration. We've announced a partnership with Oxylo Carbon Ventures. Um, that really enables um, us to, to generate a deeply negative carbon intensity, something that's, that's unique in the sustainable aviation uh, fuel space. Something that when you consider SAF today is blended at a, a, at a maximum of 50% uh, with fossil jet A1, um, enables a potential for a, a true net zero carbon fuel. Um, we'd like to say that our, our set of technologies is carbon capture ready um, due to some of the, the uh, intricacies on the, the gas cleanup. We generate a, a really pure, uh, ready for uh, uh, sequestration CO2 stream. Uh, which we then capture. Uh, so that's really an exciting uh, component, and, and we've seen the um, the interest uh, uh, in the airlines um, to ultimately meet their uh, uh, decarbonization decarbonization plans, um, not just through purchasing of gallons of SAF, but but ultimately shifting their focus to actual CO two avoiding. Um, so I'll, I'll let uh, Neville speak a little bit to Alt Alto first. And then we can talk about the uh, the longer term scale of things. Sounds good. Neville, tell us about uh, Altalto. Uh, thanks, Tammy. Thanks, Drew. So Altalto uh, is a waste to fuel uh, project in uh, in the UK. Uh, we've been working on this uh, for many years with British Airways, and and it's really part of a a very clear drive towards decarbonisation that British Airways and its parents, uh, IAG. Uh, have been uh, have been undertaking and uh, and uh, what this project does is to take uh, waste that would otherwise go to landfill or um, incineration so it's uh, it's 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 waste that can't easily be re recycled ordinary black bag waste from households and and, and businesses uh, and then we, we we sort that we we, uh, we separate out the the, the bits that uh, we can't convert into fuels and then we put it through uh, a gasification process to uh, to release the carbon in the form of synthesis gas that then goes through our own uh, Fischer Tropsch process after the cleanup uh, that, that that Drew mentioned, uh, and and then turns into eventually into fuels, uh, and so we're we're really creating a double benefit for society. We're, we're, this is a better way of dealing with waste than than that. Really, the the only treatment alternative today is 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 incineration with some energy recovery, but that uh, in the form of electricity. But that electricity is high carbon intensity relative to grip to the grid. It's actually worse than a gas. Power, power station. Whereas, if you turn that 
carbon into aviation fuel, uh, then you're dramatically reducing the, uh, the, the carbon footprint of, uh, uh, of, of the aviation. Uh, so, so, as I say, it delivers a benefit at, at, at both ends. Uh, and, uh, and actually, we're very well situated where we are close to the, um, the Humber estuary, which is uh, kind of a big development in the energy space in the UK, a lot of it offshore wind going in there. But it's also the biggest concentration of uh, CO2 production in the UK. And so we think it's highly likely that carbon capture and storage will be available there as well. And then we'll be able to do the same thing that we're doing in Mississippi. And I should have said that uh, apart from the fact that the the, the, the feedstocks are, are different. So the, the front end physical processing is different. Otherwise, the whole chemical process for these two plants is identical. And that is hugely important because it enables us to gain lots of efficiency. We've got a lot of experience with working with those licenses that provide the other parts of the technology complementary to our own. And that is really important in the design of the integrated package. So let's talk scale-up plans um, over the next uh, five to 10 years. And then I've got a, a couple of, of follow-up uh, questions for you guys as well. Where are you guys, where do you see yourself? <laughs> the existential question, where do you see yourself and uh, yourselves in five to 10 years? Well, you know, one of the uh, elements on the, the FT gasification pathway um, is the abundance of feedstock. Um, in 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 the UK and and growing in certain geographies around the world, municipal solid waste is is a growing problem um, and will be is forecasted to be increasingly so uh, certainly in areas like Asia uh, uh, as you look forward. So so MSW is a is a problem that we provide a solution for, um, and and then in the in the US um, the pine plantations in the uh, American Southeast. Um, are abundant. These were planted, you know, hundreds of uh, hundred years ago, fifty years ago, um, in anticipation of the sort of growing paper and pulp industry, which has declined. Um, and so these these industries um, do produce waste streams um, uh, that uh, could support uh, dozens of these uh, these biorefineries. Uh, um, and our intent is to 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 build on our experience. Uh, uh, on the first project in Natchez, Mississippi, and and build a series of these biorefineries um, in the southeast. Um, I think it's um, it's worth noting that um, you know Velocis does have its core technology. Um, it has developed an integrated technology package, uh, which we will continue to to offer to to third party developers. Um, and and I would also note that. The FT that we've developed is, is uniquely suited for uh, uh, small-scale biorefineries, um, but also to the growing area in, in the power to liquids and in e-fuel space. Um, yeah. A lot of interest in Europe uh, uh, there, uh, utilizing uh, CO2 uh, uh, to, to make fuels. Um, and ultimately, you need a synthesis of, of, of that syngas. Uh, so Velocity FT is, is, is well positioned there, and we're in discussions with a number of folks. That's really interesting that I had not um, heard about that before because electrofuels or power to X seems, you know, so far out. Um, you know, when we talk about or, you know, power to X or when you see uh, forecasts and analyses, it's always like 2050. But you're saying, you know, with with the, the technology you have, I mean, that could be a greatly moved up. Uh, timeline. 
and 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 whether that's you know direct air capture in in terms of the CO2, uh, uh, certainly some folks are, are actively pursuing that today. Uh, whether that's from industrial sources where you could capture the CO2, uh, we are seeing a, a, a significant uptick in interest in those uh, pathways. Um, really, in the last year, twelve to eighteen months, um, and and I think we're we're going to see a number of uh, announcements this year. Um, with pilot uh, scale uh, uh, developers uh, um, putting this uh, this pathway into action, it's it's an exciting time in that space. So, um, what what really in- intrigues me and has always intrigued me about um, Velocis, but especially um, with what you're doing at, in the Bayou um, project uh, with the carbon capture and storage to make a net negative fuel, you know. I don't hear a lot of firms talking about that uh, or the ability to to do that yet. And I think that that's where if you if you listen to the recent um, you know webinar with Dr. Babson at RPE, I think that's where we're going. I think we're going into net 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 negative. It's no longer about meeting net zero. It's about meeting net negative. And the companies that will be able to do that, are the ones that will be the the best off. But I, so I don't think we're in that zero carbon. I think we've gone <laughs> we've gone past that. And so it is it's intriguing to me because I don't see other similarly situated companies able to do that uh, just yet. I, I, I think there's a lot of activity in carbon capture and sequestration. The, the resolution around the 45Q credits in, in, yeah. in the U.S. in particular mm-hmm. uh, uh, has provided a, um, uh, the right regulatory framework. I mean, you've seen the Exxon uh, uh, announcement last week in Exxon, right? Mm-hmm. Now they're looking at carbon capture. Um, it's, uh, it's really a, a, an exciting time. And I will say that um, programs like the LCFS in California, which do uh, encourage uh, uh, you know, and reward uh, projects that invest in negative CI, uh, you know, mm-hmm. that's a really important regulatory framework um, to encourage the investment to drive down your carbon intensity and to reach a negative carbon intensity. So let's talk uh, uh, policies here since since you brought up the uh, the LCFS. How do you uh, all see the SAF market in general evolving over the next 10 years and what kinds of policies um, do you see uh, uh, with with Neville in Europe? You're here in the U.S. Uh, what kind of policies do you see shaping up to support the market? Because I see, you know, as a research analyst, there is the delight to industry of convergence, where the technology um, is maturing. You uh, all. Velocis, others are beginning to come to market, and the policy uh, favorability is high, um, or higher than it's ever been, at least. So it seems like there's a lot of fundamentals. But how do you see it shaping up over the next uh, five, ten years or so? Tammy, I think that's that. That's a, as you say, a question that lot, there's been a lot of thinking about and a lot of conversion. The literal million dollar question <laughs> in, the, in the last year, and um, I, I, I point those who haven't read it to a, a, a very interesting piece of work that the World Economic Forum published yes. at the back end of last year um, uh, about this whole question of, of how much SAF can we make and how, and how do we how do we make it happen. And what, one of the concepts that, um, 
that is really central to that is is that of different generations of SAF. So today, all the SAF that is made in the world is made through the hydrogenated esters and fatty acids heifer process, uh, which is kind of the low-hanging fruit because um, it's starting with an energetic feedstock transformation is relatively um, relatively easy and and, and low, low energy. But there isn't enough of that feedstock to supply the whole of uh, our jet demand. So we have to move on to technologies that can uh, take advantage of much more abundant feedstocks, lower value ones, but much more abundant ones. Um, and really the two um, key technology routes in that space are alcohol to jet for um, certain agricultural residues and the gasification for trucks route that we've been talking about, which can, can get at the municipal solid waste and also at uh, woody biomass and a wide range of, of kind of difficult feedstocks where the carbon is, is deeply trapped in that, uh, in that, in that material and it, and it has to be released with something fairly, um, fairly uh, significant like gasification. And then the third generation, as, as we were just talking about, is power to the liquids, where the, the carbon's in the form of carbon dioxide. Obviously, it has no energy value at that point, so you have to apply the energy via uh, via renewable energy and renewable hydrogen, uh, and and I think all of those three are going to play a part in taking us to uh, to, to, to net zero by twenty fifty, um, and 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 policymakers are getting to grips with this and realizing that 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 they have to incentivize all of them. Um, it's no good just focusing on what's available today because then we'll run out and there'll be a there'll be a sort of terrible gap. Yeah. Um, equally, we need to do it as cost-effectively as possible and take advantage of, of what is available. So um, I think we're going to see this evolution um, into uh, into mandates. Uh, I, I mean, I, I guess I, I spend a lot of time with not only the UK government, but also with um, policymakers in Europe. Um, but really, this is a global uh, market, and, and it's the deliberations within ICAO, the International Civil Aviation Organization, and they've got a, a, a critical meeting in back end of 2022, uh, and I think that will be really important for setting the global framework. There is the, the Corsia framework, which is mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, the, the first international uh, regulation of this type, um, and that's, I think, going to prove a foundation but uh, it, it, in, in itself, it doesn't yet uh, provide the incentives to support investments today, and so that needs to be uh, that needs to be grown. But I think there's there's clear direction in Europe that there will be SAF mandates. Uh, the British government uh, indicated uh, in November in their ten point plan for an industrial decarbonisation that uh, that they would be looking at, at not only at mandates but at means of um, supporting early early investments in these in these technologies because you've got to get the first few commercial plants out there before mm -hmm. you can start driving the cost down and and you know really rolling it out quickly around the world much more, much bigger access to capital um, many many opportunities um, become available once you've got those first few uh, in the ground. Do you foresee, um, because we know no sooner has RED2 been implemented, <laughs> like uh, 30 days ago or so, um, than uh, we all know the, the commission is going to review uh, RED2. Um, and there possibly will be, or most likely will be, a RED3. Do you foresee the commission addressing this um, in some way, shape, or form? Um, we don't know the mechanism, but but do you see them tackling 
the uh, the issue of SAF and how best to facilitate its uptake. Yes, they, wide. yeah, they already are. So, mm-hmm. so there is a, a, a an initiative called Refuel EU Aviation right. um, mm-hmm. that went out with a, with a kind of preliminary consultation um, uh, late late last year, um, and we we of course uh, put our voice into that as uh, as lots of other people have. Um, but that started to, started to talk about mandates, and in particular, it's it's uh, started to address this question of. How do you how do you create a mandate that encourages the development of those future generations? Uh, well, I, I guess we'd say ours is is here and now, but it's it's the one that's coming, if you like, as well as the heifer that's here, to, here that, that's already here. Um, mm. So they're they're wrestling with that issue right now, and there of course there are lots of practical questions about um, how does the mandate fall on diff, on on the airlines and, and and all of that stuff. But yeah, they're they're really wrestling with it, and uh, they're intending to publish. Um, a, a, a policy later in this year. Um, so let's go to, to Drew. So how are you seeing it in the U.S.? We have an existing RFS program. We have LCFS. We have other states looking at uh, potential uh, clean fuel standards of some kind. There has been talk, whispers, if you will, about a national LCFS. How are you you seeing it for SAF and, and in particular for, for Velasas here in, in the U.S.? Yeah, and Canada, so. for that matter. <laughs> well, and Canada has their LCFS, uh, you know, both in British Columbia and then, you know, on right. a national level coming coming forward. Um, so all of that uh, that sort of regulatory structure is 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 broadly supportive of biofuels uh, uh, and alternative fuels. Um, you know, it's it's been welcome to see some of the stability return to the RIN market uh, uh, with the the SRE decisions. Um, um, you know, LCFS is you know well tested, and um, we're seeing a, a, a development of those credit markets that um, you know adds a depth and sophistication. Whether it's you know forward markets or long term contracts, it's um, you know again, I think we've we've come a long way just in the last few years uh, for both those markets. Um, the fact is, though, that um, for for both HAFA for for FD gasification, um, the economic uh, equation would suggest that these plants would make diesel. Um, and that's because the, the physical product has a, a higher value. Um, those, uh, you, you tend to get a little bit better on the uh, uh, incentives. And, and then you, uh, you also have a, a chemistry uh, component. When you're making SAF, you, you break down that hydrocarbon molecule a bit more, and so your yield is less. Mm-hmm. So the, the, uh, one of the, the most important things here in the US is um, this burgeoning discussion around a SAF tax credit. Um, and so somewhat modeled on the, the, the blender tax credit, um, you know, at $2 a gallon, um, you know, this would provide the incentive uplift for producers to ultimately make SAF uh, as opposed to renewable diesel. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think this is, a, um, you know, really interesting time, um, you know, a, a groundswell of support around this, um, you know, both from the airlines and, and, the, and the producers as well. Yeah, I wonder if you will see if that happens, if that comes to, comes to pass, do you see refiners that have already decided to go the renewable diesel route? Do you see them uh, going the, you know, going the SAF route because now they'll, they'll be the support to do it? You, you know, that's a very interesting discussion. Yeah. Um, the, the, the ability for certain technology pathways 
uh, to react to market signals and and change their product slate um, mm-hmm. is, is going to be very interesting. Um, whether it's a pull from the EU because the mandates are are offering a high price in the EU, or or simply domestically the SAF has the the value uh, uh, in the market. Um, look, most of these facilities don't you know change their product slate day to day. Yes. Um, certainly, FT gasification. This is something that you'd you'd really be looking at uh, uh, more sort of a long term uh, uh, turnaround. You know, switch your product slate, but it's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, the the my understanding is that half of project uh, projects do have a better ability to to to, to change their product slate, but again, it, it, it's not a day to day dynamic uh, uh, component. Um, this will be a very interesting uh, uh, thing to to watch. Um, in the development of the SAF market, because I do think I mean, we've got billions of gallons of announced and under construction, yeah. uh, 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 um, you know, product, uh, uh, you know, likely come to market. Um, that swing gallon, you know, between diesel and SAF is is going to be a really big driver for for the markets, both in the U.S. and the EU. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think this is definitely the the area to watch and to see how you know, just just to see what happens, you know, what the, what the refiners who could be the, you know, the part of the, the SAF game, do they stay, do they go? And it, it really does depend on what the policy is going to be, you know, at, at the end of the day, do you see the $2 tax credit? Um, do you, do you see that as a real possibility? I, I, in I, I, I do. And, and, and I will, you know, raise my hand when, when it was first Sort of uh, proposed in in 2019, I, I didn't did uh, give it a, a a ton of possibility. Just it's it's a it's a rather significant number. Um, yeah. But we have seen a groundswell in support. Um, you know, I know that you know airlines and in, in off take discussions are are expecting that tax credit to be there. Yeah, um, so 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 you know they are you know this is not something that's uh, you know maybe perhaps and let's deal with it then and there. You know this is entering into to contract discussions today. So how about RFS reform slash, um, you know, slash national uh, LCFS? Do you do you have a view there? And then it looked like, Neville, you were you were going to say something as well. Um, just quickly on, on RFS and, and, you know, where that goes in a potential national LCFS. Um, a national, a, re, a wholesale replacement of the RFS with a national LCFS, I just see it as a real challenge Due to the uh, existing uh, asset base and the money that's been invested under certain regulatory uh, construct, and a change to that construct um, could, you know, we'll have winners and losers. Right. Uh, and so, uh, you know, the the you know, as as more of the traditional uh, fossil arms or uh, uh, companies are are you know knee deep in, in renewable diesel, um, you know, you look at the earnings uh, uh, calls and the the presentations, and um, you know, making renewable diesel is is the hot thing for for a lot of these refiners. Mm-hmm. You now have a vested interest in 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 the RFS. Um, so I think it'll be an interesting development. I expect we'll see more of a patchwork on the the state level LCFS. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I would not discount a, a national LCFS. The, the the whispers keep growing and and, and don't go away. Exactly, uh, Neville. Did you want to add something? Yes, I was thinking about the you know this the, the concept of um, refiners having to make decisions about which market they put their put their product in. It, mm-hmm. it also goes around the other way that that the awareness that that can happen drives policy making. So, for example, if 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 uh, the effect of a policy change is to switch 
uh, from decarbonizing the heavy duty goods sector to decarbonizing the aviation sector with no net gain in emissions today, that that's not a great thing. Whereas if you can switch from um, adding carbon to the waste sector, uh, to the, the electricity grid in the waste sector to decarbonizing aviation, that is a big policy gain. So yeah. I think the, the, the policymakers are, uh, they've got a tough job, right? Because they're having to balance these, these different sectors with different dynamics and understanding where each of the um, uh, the pathways to decarbonization uh, is likely to go over the next few years. But I think the, the good news is that they are um, they are very well aware of the, of those dynamics and starting to you're starting to see that in these these concepts of sub mandates or or particular um, uh, support for technologies that really do um, drive the the overall uh, economic um, outcome of decarbonisation. Yeah, what I think is really interesting about um, Velasquez, and this goes back to it's not just the the net negativity, which I think is is really just a super plus, but also again, it's the feedstock, because in some sense, you know, refiners, of course, you know, they will be your competitors um, of, of of sorts, and there are other competitors in the space as well. But the one thing that I think is really, uh, really, uh, I think to a very large extent, insulates. Uh, you all is the feedstock uh, question. That's going to be a really big one for the refining industry. We already know that it is for renewable diesel, um, and it's going to be for uh, for HEFA um, as well. But it is um, looking pretty good for you guys. I think. I don't know if you want to want to comment about those kinds of dy- dynamics, but the MSW. Um, and the woody biomass, I think those are, you know, those are the key, especially the waste or the waste side of the equation. Well, we, well I think we, I think we'd hardly agree with that. And 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 again, if you if you uh, go back to the World Economic Forum's view of all the all of those how all of those pieces could come together to meet uh, an aviation fuel demand, whether or not in the context of also having to meet a, um, a heavy goods transport demand as well, um, they, they they tend to come to the same conclusion that the um, that the, the, the the municipal waste and the woody biomass are very significant components and can contribute a, a lot bigger share of that volume than that than the uh, than the the oils. Yeah, yeah. So we've talked about mandates. We've talked about tax credits. Um, we've talked about other sorts of, of, of policies on both sides um, of the Atlantic. Um, but in you, both of your views, what is the, the single most important policy that, that the industry really, really needs to scale up successfully? Now that there are companies uh, like yourselves that are, that are just, you know, that are, that, are, that are scaling up, that have commercial, commercial plants, scaling up commercial plants, and so what's the, the single most important policy in your view? And then if that policy doesn't come to pass, how, how does that impact uh, the, the market? Maybe we'll start with Neville and then, and then go to Drew. Yes, Tammy, uh, uh, this is my opportunity to get on, the, on, the, on my soapbox. And, uh, <laughs> um, hear and ye, to, hear ye. Because yeah. <laughs> um, this is something that I'm certainly uh, spending a lot, of, uh, a lot of my energy on right, right, right now. Um, well, I think that you know when you when you're bringing um, uh, technologies to mar- to market in in a space where the the market is highly regulated and, and newly being created, you've got the 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 issue that 
every every new set of technologies has to do with uh, the fact that it is new and it's first of a kind. But you've also got the market risk associated with the uncertainties about what, how those revenues are going to turn out. And for me, that one is the one is the single most important thing. So um, we're we're making arguments for a contracts for difference approach, which is used very successfully in the uh, in the offshore wind industry ar- around the UK, and that's that's been hugely successful in stimulating. Um, large investments into that sector we think something of the same nature could be applied uh in the in the uh in the SAF sector and and really the purpose of that is to provide um an investable uh instrument that that makes it makes it possible for um investors to get it get it over the hump and bit uh and and put money into the, the 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 early plants and i think that's uh and it also provides um importantly um confidence as to how much the, the cost is going to be to the other those who are actually paying for it so i think that that for, for us that that's uh, that's pretty important and we we see that as um having that in in place as advancing the rollout of the market by several years compared with something that 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 is um that just sort of sets a mandate and uh, and leaves leaves uh, industry to work out how to fulfill it so we think that's really important Drew, care to add anything? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll just you know uh, to carry on on Neville's point, you know, uh, um, mitigating the the what I uh, what I'll call the the regulatory price risk uh, um, is 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 really important for for, for capital. Um, you know, while while a number of lenders and investors are increasingly uh, sophisticated with some of these regulated markets. Um, there still remains a, a, a regulatory risk, and um, um, you know the level of comfort there uh, um, varies depending on the the, the counterparty. Um, so, so managing that 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 regulatory uh, uh, price risk is uh, is critical. Um, in, in the U.S., I, I really do see the the SAF tax credit as the single sort of largest piece of of, of legislation or policy that that can drive SAF. Um, again, without that in place. Uh, uh, the economics for a producer are to make the, the make diesel, which is a very deep and, and, and broad market. Um, if the if if the policy does not step up, um, the burden would fall to the airlines to to, to pay the premium to to pull that gallon um, away from from the diesel. Um, we are seeing in the market. If you look at the 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 uh, the West Coast Argus pricing, uh, um, which is you know been started to be published since December, you know that indicates a premium to the fossil gallon uh, um, of uh, you know a dollar dollar fifty. Um, so it'll be very interesting to to see how that carries forward. Um, I do think that we'll see the the progress on the SAF tax credit, um, which should help unlock some of the uh, the gallons on the um, in the U.S. market. Um, and then lastly, just a, a commercial construct, which I, I, I'm seeing gain uh, uh, some uh, 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 acceptance, um, is the book and claim uh, 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 contract approach. So ultimately, uh, producers can de- deliver the fuel um, to the highest value market, um, but off-takers can, can claim the environmental attributes in, in, in other markets. Um, we've seen that uh, um, you know, o- over the last 18 months um, grow in, in acceptance 
Um, and what that helps do for the rollout of SAF is, you know, it manages the, the infrastructure and the blending. Um, you know, you don't have to have all of that bespoke at, at, at each uh, airport. Um, you know, that can really sort of be done on a, on a centralized location basis, which, again, for, for initial production, I think that's a, a, a real key step. All right. That's the show. Thanks for listening. I want to thank Neville and Drew so much for being on the show uh, today. Double the the SAF fun, as I said at the beginning. Um, And if you're looking for more analysis on transport energy issues, head to my website, transportenergystrategies.com. Sign up for my free biweekly newsletter to stay abreast of what's going on out there. Um, And thanks again for listening.